He had to try to get the Jewish Christians to understand you are now servants of a new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is greater. And he goes on to say, we have a better covenant, better than Aaron, better than Moses. And he just hits that point time and time again to the Hebrews. Once we're clear about this, we, we get strength in our witnessing. We understand our identity and who we are and where we belong. This is Cross Reference Radio with our pastor and teacher, Rick Gaston. Rick is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville. Pastor Rick is currently teaching through the book of Acts. Please stay with us after today's message to hear more information about Cross Reference Radio, specifically how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Today, Pastor Rick will begin a brand new study called Priorities in Acts chapter 3. The book of Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Brief review, considering chapter 2, the title was Foundations, because that verse in Acts 2.42 is a foundational verse for Christianity. Continuing, continuing, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the communion, and prayer. This is our foundation. In verse 42 of chapter 2, we read that the church was unified, that they were together in fellowship. And then in verse 44, we read that the church was magnified. It wasn't made larger. They certainly increased but it was beginning to be seen by everyone. And because of this, then it multiplied. And the alliteration that the church was unified, magnified, and multiplied, that's just a sweet fact that belongs to the beginning of Christianity as we know it. And it challenges us as individual believers and as a local assembly, what are we doing? Along those lines, are we adhering to the foundation? And as a result of this, are we unified? Is the church magnified? And does it multiply? And for a church or Christian to stop being what they are in order to make room for those who are not what they are is to help the devil. We are Christians. We believe in Jesus Christ. 
that was prophesied by the prophets, who came and died for us as God the Son, who rose again, who ascended into heaven, who immersed believers in the Holy Spirit. We believe in this Jesus Christ who died for our sins, that each one of us is a sinner and we need a Savior, and he is the only one. Now, if someone does not agree with that, we're not going to make room for that thinking in in our theology, because that would be assisting the devil, and therefore the apostles' doctrine, continuing in their doctrine, and not to be an advocate for the world. We have seen this happen in some of these Ivy League schools, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, even the YMCA. They were leavened. They made room for the world. Instead of letting the light shine out so brightly that there was nothing, nowhere for the world to hide. And a church has to guard against these things, and it is that, again, that foundation that does it. Here in this third chapter, we come across a lame beggar, and then not this session, next session, we'll get into Peter's sermon. It's so meaningful how the apostles handled the people that came in touch with them on spiritual matters. And Peter, when he preaches, he's not going to preach on miracles. He's going to preach on Jesus Christ. Miracles were used by God, for sure. Signs and wonders in the New Testament in those early ages to deliver his people from bondage. God used miracles when they were slaves in Egypt. Always the people that belong to God, hope in miracles when in need, but we don't trust in the miracles, we trust in God. A lot of believers get tripped up with this. Psalm 78 speaks about these things, about the people of God who came in touch with his miracles, but did not continue to trust him, wanting to live by miracles. The writer says in verse 7 of Psalm 78, that they may set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. See, the the ancient Jews understood this, the righteous ones. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. God wants faith. The writer to Hebrews, likely Paul, wrote that without faith it is impossible to please God. Psalm 78 Because you, same psalm, but this time verse 22, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. That's the rebuke baked into that psalm for that present generation to read it and say, okay, it's our turn. It's our turn to trust God. And it is our turn to trust him without demanding that God do miraculous things so that we can trust. Trust is not contrary to truth. Trust is contrary to doubt. In those areas where God has established himself already, Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is now reviewing the 40 years in the wilderness. In that first chapter, we read just this one verse says so much. Verse 32 of Deuteronomy 1, yet for all that you did not believe Yahweh your God. Yet for all that, you had enough evidence, you had enough proof, you know who I am, and yet... For all that, you still did not believe. You could say that about Judas Iscariot. You can say that about any apostate who once believed, 
but fell away. And that's what that Greek word apostate means, to fall away from, which presupposes you once were joined to. And we are to live as though we have met God. That's part of being born again, born from above. Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are right. The righteous walk in them. What I'm trying to join together here is that foundation of our faith, the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the communion, and the prayer, that those things are our priority, not the miracles. Because belief, faith in Jesus Christ, is a miracle unto itself. And I fear that, you know, the part of you, you come in touch with the Scripture, and we, we expect miracles, but they don't happen at the rate that we want to see them happen. So the priority is said by Jesus in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added to you, not owed to you. We have no sense of entitlement, no claim on God. And it matters. This, Jesus is saying it matters what we do with what matters to God. And that is truth according to the revelation of God, his word from his scripture. This is our priority as believers. We are in the age of faith. We are living in a time when we are to speak the truth in love and firmness and be assured of what we believe in. As the scripture says, doubting nothing. Now we look at verse 1 because hopefully what I have introduced this section with has everything to do with what's coming forward. We're going to see a miracle take place, and that's all great, but I don't need to see miracles at this stage in Christianity because I have the completed canon of Scripture, the rule of Scripture. I have the New Testament along with the Old. Verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Here's Peter and John found together yet again, and often in Scripture. Two very different personalities these two men were, yet in fellowship together. And you could say in harmony when it came to the things of Christ. Partners in a fishing business before Jesus came into their lives. They were sent, those two, Jesus said to Peter and John, together to prepare for the Passover. They ran to the empty tomb together. They will be arrested together. We'll get that in latter chapters, not very far from now, but still to come. They ministered to the Samaritans together. This unity that they enjoyed is very important to us. Here they are going together in prayer to the temple no longer competing for greatness, no longer disagreeing with each other on spiritual things, but now they are serving together. Mark chapter 1, Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They're not on the Sea of Galilee. They're on the, the temple ground. They are fishing for men. And I don't know. I hope this is not lost on anybody. The value of these things for the church after the Gospels, 
I, I don't know how many Christians uh, it seem to avoid the book of Acts, but it, is, it should be the other way around. We should be eager to explore it. This is old school. This is old school Christianity, and it is as relevant today as it was in the day that it was taking place. And so they went together to the temple. Now, Acts chapter 1 through 10 describes this gradual transition from the Israelites or the Jews under the influence of rabbinical Judaism to the Gentile influence in the church. Paul will have his hands filled dealing with the Gentiles and their idols. At one point, he says, you you left dumb idols from whatever. (laughs) It doesn't matter. They're false and they are dumb. They don't speak and they don't help. They hurt. So this we'll be watching because I fear a lot of Christians don't, their identity is confused. They don't know if they're supposed to be Old Testament Jewish type Gentile believers. They get trapped and mixed up in the law. Or do they understand that we as uh, servants of Christ, as servants under the new covenant, and how important that is. Romans 12, verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Judaism would not allow that blessing upon the Gentiles, but the church does bring it forward. We'll come back to some of this. At the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, according to the rabbis, the lamb was slain for this evening sacrifice at about 2.30. Peter and John are a half hour later, after that sacrifice was slain, here they are coming for prayer. At three, at about 3.30, the pieces of that animal will be offered on the altar. And so we see Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer and still not yet developed in their Christianity and the identity of the church. They're still, you know, working through it. And God is working with them, and he's very patient with them. He was ready for this. Again, he has to raise up a man like the Apostle Paul to really open it up. The Jews had three daily times of prayer. We already looked at one in chapter 2 where we see Peter going to the temple to pray. In fact, Peter is found going to the temple to pray at each interval, at the morning prayer, the noon prayer, and at the evening prayer. We'll get the the noon prayer when we get to chapter 2. My point is, he is a man of prayer, as well as a man of the word. As stated when we get to chapter 6, when he says, we will not give ourselves to serving in this capacity, but we will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, which we're going to see him open up. And Daniel chapter 6. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with the windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. And there's that three-interval. We find Daniel practicing it in the face of persecution. They had outlawed his religion, but they couldn't stop him from practicing what he believed, his faith. Psalm 55, verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. And so there again, this implication of the intervals of prayer in the Jewish believer continued by the apostles in the early days, of course, expanded 
to the point where if you're born again walking in the Spirit, you find yourself praying often, just often praying to God. I look forward to praying to God many times, but prayer is hard work. Anyway, Christianity is still centered at the Jewish temple at this time. We have no indication that they're going for the sacrifice. This is important because we get Christians that don't get, un, get that transition, that understanding. Paul, he had to deal with it in the Roman letter, in the Galatian letter, and as I mentioned, I believe, in his letter to the Hebrews. He had to try to get the Jewish Christians to understand you are now servants of a new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is greater. And he goes on to say, we have a better covenant, better than Aaron, better than Moses. And he just hits that point time and time again to the Hebrews. Once we're clear about this, we we get strength in our witnessing. We understand our identity and who we are and where we belong. And when you're confused about that, then your strength is diminished because that's what confusion does. It diminishes strength. So at this point, they are at still the Jewish temple around the time of the evening sacrifice, the hour of prayer. They're returning to the place where the multitudes were. They had this, again, this three, almost 3,000 people come to the Lord. So they're, I'm sure, hoping to have another astounding victory. However, this time when Peter preaches, persecution is going to follow. And it's not going to stop. I mean, there'll be some periods of rest, but they will be a persecuted people. And that persecution will be used by God to send the Christians out of Jerusalem. But that's not going to be enough. This is a gradual transition. The Jewish Christians will go out of Jerusalem, but they'll go to Galilee and Samaria, but they really won't go much further than that. Not until Paul comes along. In fact, Paul will find believers in Ephesus who did not even hear of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. This man had never walked in his life, and he's over 40 years old. We know he's over 40 years old because in chapter 4 and verse 22, we're told he's over 40 years old. Never walked in his life. This description emphasizes that his condition was irreversible for men. Lame humanity, wrote one Bible pastor, is the church's opportunity, the Christian's opportunity. There are a lot of people who are lame, not physically, spiritually. There are many people who claim Christ as Lord, and spiritually, they are lame. They're not able to stand for whatever reason. Somehow, this man missed the touch of Christ. Clearly, Christ did not heal everyone in Jerusalem. And here he is, following his routine, having no idea what's coming. When he woke up that morning, he had no knowledge of these things, that God had singled him out. Nor did the apostles. Peter and John, as close as they walked to Christ, they had no idea this was going to take place. This was not planned. This is evangelism. This is being ready to be used and then being used. And they did not do it in their own strength, which Peter will be very careful to point out in the next session. It says here in verse 2, he was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. There was nothing more they could do for him. 
but to put him where he could gain some sort of income. I believe he was loved. I believe that they cared for him, which is called beautiful, the gate. Likely that passageway that enters the temple ground and separates the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women. Still, once you get through the court of the women, you would then reach the the court of Israel, which was closer to the altar. This man could not go that far, but he will before this is done, uh, to ask alms from those who entered the temple here in verse 2. Well, giving to those in need like this was considered an act of righteousness, even to this day in uh, the Jewish world, and it, it, it should be a part of our righteousness too. Paul says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Why would he say that? Well, because we do grow weary, because this life throws at us some pretty nasty things, and they can wear us down, and we're encouraged by the, in the Scriptures to endure. Well, what should the Bible say? Give up, quit, don't endure. Uh, find another God. Of course, that would be Satan, not, not the Lord. So and for us, uh, we would tend to see people like this, certainly unfortunate, but sometimes maybe we even consider them a nuisance. Uh, these are a little bit different times. We have so many social programs in this country nowadays, but it's a big world. Uh, in the ancient world, they were everywhere, the beggars, that is. Today, we have uh, got to watch scammers who try to pretend to be in great need, but really they just want to take a steal. But lame humanity is everywhere. And I want to emphasize this point. It's not always visible. They're not always asking for help. What do we do about that as believers? We stay ready at the beck and the call of our master. That's what Christ wants from us to be ready in season and out, which is, leaves no room for any other season. Verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. This is a very difficult section to preach from because it's so good. What can you add to this? Uh, but I don't really get much of a say-so in that. And to go preach the word, as you said, in season and out of season. But this was a legitimate need. He needed money to survive. And men are coming in and randomly, I'm sure there were many coming in and out, but he makes contact with these two. This is a divine setup. God is in this. Salvation in Christ did not cross this man's mind this morning or any other likely. And we should be well aware that no one drifts into salvation. God is the one, is the author and finisher of our faith, and he uses us as part of the finishing and the authoring part. Faith has to come in contact with unbelievers. True believers are supposed to be in touch with them, and we're supposed to order our lives in such a way that we don't make it impossible by blowing our witness. I mean, there are a lot of Christians that are very well-behaved in church, but then they go to the workplace, and there's some of the most moody and nasty people you want to come across. And their witnesses compromise. And they want to hear the pastor tell how they can be used to save people. Or they want to bring somebody to the church and let the pastor save them, because they've already ruined everything. These things we should be aware of. But here's a question, and maybe this will be the question that sits with all of us today. Why should God do anything for you? Or anybody else, for that matter? 
None of us are entitled. In fact, we're lined up for judgment, for breaking his law and his universe. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why should God do anything for you? I mean, we know the answer to this, but it is still a searching question, especially when you have needs, especially when you're crying out in physical pain or some other type of pain, because there are many brands of pain. God, however, is God of love and responds to those who respond to him. And that involves faith, not miracles. Of course, faith is a miracle. It is a spiritual event. It alerts the individuals, the witnesses to this event, that there are great spiritual forces at work. And hopefully we recognize they come from heaven. Verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. This is one of those rare details that says so much. Fixing his eyes and fixing his eyes on him. With John, Peter said, look at us. You've been listening to Cross Reference Radio, the daily radio ministry of Pastor Rick Gaston of Calvary Chapel in Mechanicsville, Virginia. As we mentioned at the beginning of today's broadcast, today's teaching is available free of charge at our website. Simply visit crossreferenceradio.com. That's crossreferenceradio.com. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to the Cross Reference Radio podcast. Subscribing ensures that you stay current with all the latest teachings from Pastor Rick. You can subscribe at crossreferenceradio.com or simply search for Cross Reference Radio in your favorite podcast app. Tune in next time as Pastor Rick continues teaching through the book of Acts right here on Cross Reference Radio. Thank you.